All right. Um, this is Mike Calabrese, the drummer from Lake Street Dive, uh, currently calling in from Vermont. And uh, this is Aki Burmese. I am the keyboard player in Lake Street Dive, and I am coming to you live from Brooklyn, New York. Same old second chances Give you time and time again Same old insufficient Welcome back, everybody. You're tuned into the show on the road. My name is Zach Lupiton, and each week, or whenever my two brand new laptops don't break down and wipe all their data, I bring you a deep dive with one of my favorite artists, songwriters, or band leaders from around the world. And today, after years of trying to get these guys on the show, I bring you my conversation with members of the internationally loved soul pop pioneers, Lake Street Dive. There are very few things in life that you can depend on. And yet, since 2004, when they were founded by Luminous singer Rachel Price, upright bassist singer-songwriter Bridget Kearney, high-energy drummer Mike Calabrese, and the recently departed guitarist-trumpeter Mike McDuck-Olson at the New England Conservatory of Music in Boston, the group has consistently put out virtuosic, heartfelt, harmony-laden, decadently delicious, nerdy dance music that honestly only got more intense and more beautiful when they added kinetic keyboard singer-songwriter Aki Burmese in 2017. If you've listened to any of the almost 100 episodes on this podcast, you'll know that I kind of hate genre-specific music. And Lake Street Dive makes no sense. Their trajectory started in the jazz club, and yet they broke through on the bluegrass and folk festival circuit. Their bass lines sound like something out of a funky Jackson 5 backdrop, and yet Bridget Kearney only plays the upright. While it sounds like they have a horn section or some big choir behind them, actually, it's only Mike and Bridget and Rachel singing in crazy three-part harmony. And as you'll hear in my conversation with Burmese and Calabrese, there really was no plan. They thought that maybe they would play for tips in small jazz clubs, and yet they found themselves headlining Red Rocks and playing around the world to rapturous, sold-out crowds. I know, because I've been there. My band Dust Bowl Revival has been able to open for them at places like the Wiltern in Los Angeles, where we played for 3,000 people losing their minds. And in this crazy 2021, they finally dropped their newest record, Obviously, which has songs like hypotheticals that are so earwormy that I actually resent them for existing. And the more I dive into Lake Street Dive's catalog, the more they remind me of a genre-defying group of quasi-geniuses that I think you'll know. If you have a chance... Go on Hulu and watch McCartney 321. It's an incredible documentary series where Rick Rubin and Paul McCartney dive into the Beatles catalog song by song, stem by stem. There's only a few times in history where a songwriter and a band can create things that don't exist in any category. Do songs like Hey Jude and Blackbird and Nowhere Man exist in the same genre or even on the same planet? Maybe not. Eleanor Rigby, Fixing a Hole, Love Me Do, Eight Days a Week. These songs aren't pop music or folk or jazz or funk. They're Beatles songs. Just like a song like Goes Down Smooth or Good Kisser or Hypotheticals, they're Lake Street Dive songs. They're their own category now. And after a year and a half of doom scrolling and fearing for the worst, what I love most about this new record, obviously, is how sexy it is.
Does it kind of feel like summer 2021 is like the rumspringer of a pent-up humanity? And while Sigmund Freud said we seek out sexual contact to distract ourselves from the impending doom of our demise, well, we kind of need that distraction right now, don't we? You tell the people in the papers what they ought to believe. You wave a shiny metal object where you want them to see. And sure, we're all stressed out, stuck in the middle of that capitalist hamster wheel. But maybe if you have an hour to spare, slip into something comfortable, light some incense, pour yourself a cold cocktail, and put on Lake Street Dives, obviously, and let the magic happen. The rest is up to you. Remember to get vaccinated and to use protection. On that weird note, I'd like to thank you for supporting this podcast. If you can, please leave us a kind review on iTunes or on Spotify. Share this show with your friends. Uh, We had a couple weeks off, not by choice, but because I actually edited this episode and a wonderful episode with Amigo the Devil, and then my computer completely erased everything even on my hard drive, which I've never seen before, and Apple technicians had never seen it in 20 years on the job. But the show on the road must go on. We're here, and we have new episodes coming soon, including my conversation with the Ballroom Thieves and Pokey Lafarge, who has a new record coming out very soon. If you're curious what my band Dust Bowl Revival has coming up, well, August 1st, we'll be playing uh, Representative Susie Price's City Concert in Long Beach. That'll be a lot of fun. It's free. Bring your family and a picnic. And we'll be heading to the southeast playing Appaloosa Fest August 14th in Virginia and then going down south playing Asheville, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, Nashville, Tennessee, and then ending at the Philadelphia Folk Fest on the 21st. We got festivals in Utah in September. We're going to Northern California in October, and we got the big show at the Troubadour in L.A. to finish it all off December 4th. Get those tickets before they're gone. As always, the show on the road is sponsored by no one. It could be you, though, so please send us an email, showontheroadpod at gmail, and you can donate to the show, znlupatin at gmail on PayPal. Okay, that's it for me. Here they are now, the studly gents of Lake Street Dive, Mike Calabrese and Aki Burmese. Well, it's funny because I think the internet still doesn't know where Lake Street Dive is based. Like, it actually doesn't have any idea. It still says, like, Boston-based, Brooklyn-based, Nashville, because we recorded there. Like, nobody really knows. Yeah, neither do we. We don't have a a real home, I guess. But it started when you guys, uh, Mike, you and Bridget, McDuck, and Rachel got together at... uh, college in boston right correct yeah so we were 2004 uh me and the ladies were freshmen and mcduck was a transfer as a junior and uh he got us in a room and uh so we formed in boston at school and then uh but we've never since then since college and graduating we've never all lived in the same place um And so we're just keeping that tradition alive. So you guys were like Zoom experts before that even was a thing, maybe. Oh, yeah. Before FaceTime, before Zoom, the the Internet, we like like I remember like getting a Twitter account and being like, whoa, 
this is crazy. And like, you know, YouTube was like becoming a big thing that was like still happening. When, we- when you've been in a band this long, right. There's obviously going to be some changes and really you guys have stuck together this long. Uh, McDuck has bowed out as of about a month ago, um, which has got to be a tough thing to deal with. And yet, how has it been adding a new member on keyboard to kind of like build in that sound? Like how has the sound evolved since those early days? Well, I feel like, (laughs) well, and uh, it, you know, I'll just say first and foremost, if we hadn't added, uh, if we hadn't, I say added, if we hadn't invited Aki years ago and had he not, you know, uh, been into it i guess he's still into it i think everybody would have left the band probably (laughs) years ago um and not not to put all this uh pressure undue pressure on aki uh but uh savior if you will (laughs) i I will say he does great under pressure and this is something we know about him because we literally gave him no preparation for the band Yeah, and to this day, he's, you know, I don't know if he's resentful or he's just accepted us, but, you know. I'm delighted. Um, (laughs) I just want to love you. I just want to try. I know where the subject of a thousand crying eyes. Yeah, so, I mean... After that amount of time, the changes are constantly taking place, right? The only thing you can count on is change, as they say. And so um, what we were, we were just running into the fact that it's like, as our shows grew in number, it was just a pragmatic um, kind of inverse amount of energy being sucked out of the core four members. Sonically, it's very limiting we knew that keyboard would be the next logical step and having added it, it's just like been a springboard to our shows, but also like now Aki's enveloped into the fold of the songwriting and his voice, his singing voice is now a part of the sound of the band. And that's been a springboard for, that opens up our minds. Like how can we write now? How many duets can a band do? Is it true that they actually proposed band marriage to you with a ring? That is true. After uh, after we had been seeing each other for a while, you know, and I was starting to wonder if we were ever going to get serious. Uh, <laughs> no, they took me out to dinner, and uh, I was uh, I was told I was told to look away. I was distracted, and when I turned back, there were four plastic engagement rings on my salad plate, and uh, I was asked if I. Uh, wanted to uh, wed the band. And so mm. I did. And Aki, did you just come back from a uh, Dungeons and Dragons retreat with Bridget? Did I hear that right? Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. We've uh, we've been playing Dungeons and Dragons with uh, some other musical friends uh, in, in pandy times. And uh, this was the big culmination. We thought it would be cool. We all, we got like a an air an air D&D as we like to call it. Oh yeah. And, uh, got together and vanquished. Registered trademark. That's right. The foul uh, vampire Strahd uh, is no more. Wow. There's dancing in the streets. 
So Aki, you come in on the record Free Yourself Up, I think was the first time you were fully integrated into the sound. And I think that you transitioned away from uh, you know, more of an independent label uh, situation with Signature Sounds, who I still have a lot of love for because they helped my band Dust Bowl Revival put out some records. Um, but going to none such, starting to like, I would say like add muscle and a lot of dynamic to the sound. Some would say you went a little more in a pop rock and roll direction. I always hear this sort of beautiful nerdy combination of jazz kids making soul music and rock and roll, right? And I think the level of studiousness in which you guys layer vocals as um, almost like your own horn section, your own choir, your own string section is really, I think, the most impressive thing about Lake Street Dive for me, especially having been backstage when I've played some shows with you guys, seeing how you practice it. A song like Go Down Smooth, for example, is a epic rising fury of sound, mostly created by your vocals alone, right? Because you just have the electric guitar, uh, Bridget's bass, drums, and then this just sea of sound created by your vocals. How did you start being able to layer your vocals in a way that substituted for other parts, like horn sections? Uh, kind of like necessity, right? And also, but, but also out of the spirit of like tradition, right? I mean, it's kind of like um, when you don't have the budget for those horn players, you know, and you have a uh, kind of, you know, a pension yeah. for the Beach Boys, and you know, it, you know, you learned how to sing in the first place from it's. It's like if the Beatles had to sing their own horn parts, or if they were like trying to sound like a a band, a, yeah, with like a big band. Well, I can see the twist and shout inspiration in. Yeah, yeah, totally. It go down totally. smooth, right? Yes. But it is filtered through this highly developed jazz studiousness, right? Like if if John Lennon had finished art school or something. You know? Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, if he had, if he really had something to prove, like we do, and, yeah, all that tuition money, you know, I gotta figure out the voice leading for these background vocals, you know, and make them perfect. Aki, what was the first song that you started really feeling like you were a part of the sound that you just had locked in? What was the first song that you played with them? That's a crazy question to ask. That's wonderful. Uh, um, it would have been somewhere on that first tour that was like five weeks long. But the way we did it was uh, they just sent me like 25 songs and we're like, yo, can you just show up in Boston and just know these songs and just be ready to play? No charts? Uh, no charts. Zero. 
jars. That's not nice. <laughs> from the jazz school kids. From the yeah, jazz school exactly. kids. That's okay because I went to jazz school, so I made very detailed, like embarrassingly detailed charts of the songs. Uh, and uh, I would say there was a moment when we did, uh, I think I learned this on the fly. Mistakes is what it's called. And uh, that was not one that had been on the list. And so we just kind of worked it up in soundcheck and it got like, it went from the way I had been approaching it was like, okay, this song is coming up next. These are these parts that I have to learn how to play. And I'm, every gig, I would just basically, my head was on a swivel looking around to see like, who's looking at me? And if they're looking at me, are they smiling? Right, because that's how you know if you're, if, you're, if you're in the cut. And so that was kind of the vibe. With mistakes, they were like, why don't we add keyboard to this? And then it was just like, we kind of put it together like, oh, we're gonna do a hit here. And, and uh, you know, Bridget was like, we do this hit here, it's a stop here. I'm gonna play this walk down if you can catch that. And like, as we put it together and, and I was playing through it and things were getting caught and I was trying a different chord and I look around and people were smiling. I was like, yeah, okay, okay. This is, this is in the groove. And that one, yeah, I've never made a chart for that one. So there, younger me, there you have it. <laughs> That these men don't know each other I got one who's working undercover Trying to solve my mystery Look at one mistake I'm making them I'm jumping right on them When I know it's gonna end somehow Look at one mistake I mean, Mike, what was it like starting to feel like things were, you know, really happening for the band, right? I mean, going to Nunsuch uh, for a band that was, you know, basically playing little bars in Boston and starting to sell out thousand capacity rooms. Uh, you know, obviously I saw you guys when we performed with you at the Wiltern in LA. I mean, that's a huge room that like pop stars play at, you know? Um, and again, you have these jazz school nerds becoming almost accidental rock stars. Did you ever feel intimidated on some of these larger stages at first or did it feel natural? Um, uh, yeah, I feel like for it to feel natural, you'd have to have uh, a, an ego, like, like real primo ego. Um, because like I belong here. I've been waiting for this. This is my goal. None of this was ever our goal. And that's huh. kind of the weird thing about it. You know, I mean, I when we graduated jazz school, it was the last thing in my mind. It was maybe it wasn't even a part of my mind that, uh, you know, we would ever you could ever make a living doing this um, in the first place. Uh, but I never put it together. It was like they get in a bus, they go around, they travel the world and Maybe I was just still stuck in like the like the jazz thing is like you you either play in Europe or you you know play for buckets of cash in a bar at home and so it's like that you stay in one place and you for like respect a, yeah exactly you know got to learn how to cut you know and so I think at every stage where we've been bumped up we've been like okay we're here now what do we do you know and. Uh, Luckily, I mean, so there is this pressure when it's like this many people coming to see you and like you got to put on a good show. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like uh, 
these successive steps of success, what are they, what are they based on? And it's always been like, uh, you know, write the best tunes you can and like arrange the hell out of them and hopefully record the hell out of them. Um, and then play a bunch of shows and be yourself. run a nice organization at least not a you know we're kind of disorganized in a lot of ways but we're very open-hearted i think and and very like we only work with people who are cool to hang with as long as you do that you're like inviting just better knowledge and resource bases into your life and i think that's you know uh without the help of all these people we would never have sustained any of this you know because a lot of it we had just never known about it before these people helped us know it um and so like we are very intimate we're i'm i feel intimidated to this day when you know we get such and such a billing at such and such a festival and we'll be like okay we need to like show up and be good and it's like okay yeah i keep working hard and keep doing what we've been doing and i think we will be allowed on stage and if that ever stops i guess we won't be asked back <laughs> so we'll see don't you know that I know that you know that I know that you want me? And don't I know that you know that I know that you know that I want you? So let it be known that I'm fine. All my other lovers better leave us alone. Get ready to go because I'm taking you home. What was the show that you began to really realize that... <laughs> you're not going to be playing little jazz clubs. Like what was the moment where you got on stage and you're like, this is going to be my livelihood now. Oh, um, man, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, there was the point where that the viral video, you know, the Kevin Bacon tweeting, I want you back video that led to us having like our first ever sold out tour and so that was like 40 days and we were like okay th that was the first time we were like all right this could like we have leverage now or at least it at least felt like we had a bigger lever um i guess when i had you to myself I didn't want you around Those pretty faces always made you stand out in the crowd But someone picked you from the bunch One glance was all it took Now it's much too late for me to take a second look Well, I have this theory that a lot of bands like you guys are creating what I think is the new classic rock music our parents grew up with that is now on classic rock radio, 60s, 70s, is this crazy cross-section of folk music, soul music, 
blues, rock and roll, jazz. I mean, you have all these groups that were sort of just accepted as pop music, right? And the genres were all over the place, right? You have, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, and you have the Beatles, and you have even country music starting to be pop music. I'm curious, uh, Aki, when you started playing with these guys, what did you think you were getting into? Like, what was the music that you thought you were joining? I mean, you pretty much nailed it there. The I had seen them, speaking of talking about their, like, the band going from, like, that rough and tumble small club thing to becoming, uh, having momentum and growing and becoming a larger sort of organism. I had seen them in sort of like a parallel orbit in these snapshots that changed. Like the first time I checked out Lake Street Dive it's because a friend of mine at Rockwood was like, hey, my friends are playing at the stage next door. And I was like, yeah, yeah, kid, listen, I'm talking to girls, you know? And I went over there and checked them out for a bit, but then I was like, I'm gonna go back and check, talk to girls. And I saw them at Rockwood too, and it was full, that kind of thing. So like, right. I had also seen their sound sort of develop and, 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 songs become sort of hits maybe on a microcosmic level like when you're in a room that holds 200 people and you play the opening riff to a tune and everybody completely loses it uh like ed sullivan so i i had that perspective of their show and then also because i had i sort of had seen various uh songs and sets in these these sort of flashes i knew that this was going to be like a very the the sound as you describe it like that gem that sort of crystallized sort of uh right you know that fine thing that is produced at the end that end product draws on so many like such an eclectic source of musical sounds right. that especially as a keyboard player going into a band that had not been performing with keyboards live i was like okay how many bags of keyboard chops <laughs> do i need to check for this first trip and it was like every bag it was it was like you need the ray charles bag you need the billy preston bag you need the like uh, uh you need the rolling stones bag like have you ever checked out uh you need the the donny hathaway bag you need the donny hathaway bag so you gotta all those things you got to sort of you got to be able to pull out and use uh in, in one single lake street dive set <laughs> <laughs> So I knew that I was getting to that. That's part of why I was so, I was, I was like very, I wanted to over-prepare. So I wanted to make sure I had like the language of all those different styles. Plus, uh, you know, as you say, the jazz school nerd thing. I also, I went to like jazz, jazz and 21st century composition school. So I had that sort of esoteric stuff. And that also is sort of sometimes very subtly hidden in the subtexture of these Lake Street Dive songs. So. <laughs> That's also, I just felt I had to bring everything I had to the table uh, to even hang. <laughs> well, I think what people have come to love about the songwriting itself is the 
deeply personal, at sometimes uncomfortably honest lyricism to some of these songs. Even a song like Good Kisser, which feels just like a bop that you jam along to in the car or you dance to at the club. It's acknowledging the sort of squishy parts of a relationship that uh, you don't want to talk about that, you know, maybe when it all falls apart, just say that I French kissed you in a really good way. You know, like that's all I want to be remembered for, you know, and that's kind of like a thing that we look back at our previous relationships. You're like, I wonder what my ex-girlfriend in high school thinks of me now. Did she think that we had a connection? Really makes you think. Yeah. 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 Really draws out that deep shame. Insecurity. Insecurity. Yeah. 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 A song like Good Kisser, like, do you have to dive into some of your more uncomfortable private moments to let that song really shine? Yeah, I mean, that song was, a like, all Bridget Carney, so I, we couldn't speak for her. But, you know, having just be, been really... Uh, like introduced to Aki Burmese's songwriting at a, at the personal level where like we're all collaborating together. Right. I think Aki also, and um, I'll speak for you right in please, front of you. Please you come. Do. You come from a very uh, personal, vulnerable, and uh, real, authentic mm-hmm. place when when writing songs. Um, and not to say that like I mean. We the first songs of Aki's that we heard were literally called a collection called the Alien Love Songs. That's Am I correct? Yeah, you are correct. And so you know, I <laughs> I uh, I would love to believe that Aki's the only one of us who's met extraterrestrials and has fallen in and out of love with them and can write from experience. Right. But knowing it's probably the case that it's a science fiction mindset that is a place of authenticity nonetheless and. Um, but in this band, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of hard, you know, you, I think heartbreak is what you want to write about from all angles in all capacities. Cause heartbreak doesn't always happen with a, with a one-on-one relationship. Heartbreak can happen, for instance, in a song like Rachel Price's Nobody's Stopping You Now, looking uh-huh. back on a past self and your heart breaks at the thought of your younger self not having the wisdom that it, that you do now and you wish you could just tell that person to it's cool you don't have to try to be anybody else you know right and like um and so i think that that's what people want to hear right that's how you connect to people um you know when you're not real with people is you know they can tell and you and it's not fun for you either mm-hmm. you know and you and in any capacity it's like it's just way better to um be real with folks lay down girl the summer's coming on take off your man 
You know, um, playing them, playing the songs over and over again, that's kind of a different story. Uh, at least for me, it's like sometimes it's necessary to just be like, I'm, I need to execute this because it's my job. Case in point, playing McDuck's last show with the band ever a couple weeks back and me like wanting to sob, but having to like play some zippity zap backbeats at the same time, you know, and like having to you know right. deliver you know because it's not about you you know the songs speak for itself you know so in the writing of those songs it's like yeah get real well i think if i can venture a thought about the evolution of the songwriting right you have albums like bad self-portraits which i think is a modern masterpiece i'm going to say that into the mic thank you um you have it as sort of a youthful exploration into love and relationships but in this sort of like we're gonna get over it you know like we can make funny faces at the camera and and know that this was a part of our lives that we've gotten through as this new record has come out obviously i think we're starting to realize that like things are hard and we have to like acknowledge that it's not necessarily going to get better but it is powerful when you can openly have the catharsis of acknowledging that we can move through the struggle together somehow, you know? Well, I was going to mention of making do one of the things I love about it is part of what you just described that as you get older and your generation starts to have this, you know, uh, uh, a a quality to it. Uh, It can be, you can point out and go, this was our generation. The nineties was like this. Uh, there is a point where like the shift of responsibility for the world starts to slowly fall on your shoulders from the, the generation just beforehand. And then, you know, what I love about making do is that it sort of feels like when you're writing at Calvary is like, you're, you're, you're taking that burden and then you go, Oh dear. And you look behind you at the next generation and go, Hey, uh, Ooh, we're going to do our best, but I got to tell you, uh, coffee may not be as good. Going to be a lot of monsoons, uh, pack an umbrella, you know, like, but we're, we're working on it, you know, to speak to those 20 somethings and those, those late teenagers who are sort of like in that impervious sort of, uh, we don't, they don't see what's coming yet kind of deal mm. yeah for sure yeah that's that's a good point it's like uh you know in in a lot of ways i'm like i'm i'm thankful that i had my 20s to like be an idiot yeah because right. i follow i follow a, a, a number of activists on instagram and a lot of them i could i guess technically be their dad you know <laughs> and, <laughs> in my in my 36 years um and they like they already embody this kind of like forward 
looking and timeless wisdom coupled with extreme self-awareness and bravery that I'm like, I, I'm, I'm 36 years old and I'm just starting to, I'm like, you know, reading a book, I'm reading Gandhi's autobiography and I'm being like, okay, so that's how nonviolent protest works and the blah, blah, blah. And these kids are just like, they're, they're posting about what they're actually doing where a lot of people just post about like, this is what you should do, you know? And, and I'm like, don't these kids wish they could, well, what they talk about is don't they wish they could have a childhood, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's not like I have to be an activist in order to, to, to feel like there's any point to me being alive in some senses, you know? And, uh, that's, that's really heavy. And so like, um, as our generation, I, you know, like I said, it's like, I'm, I am doing my best because like, I'm new to the activism train. here i see it i won't try to burden you with like telling me what you need me to do but like here i am i'm a dad i'm like i'm aware and i'm here and sometimes that's enough you know or at least i hope that's enough for some folks it's like um we'll share everything we have yeah that we can share you know and uh hope it helps side of it i think you also have songs like the opening track hypotheticals that <laughs> are very sexy i think about people coming together in a very mature way right whereas some of the previous kiss off songs it's like yeah it was a it was a brief love affair and this is like no we're gonna like get together and we're gonna make love That opening, that opening riff feels like, you know, a, a late 80s R&B intro. Um, was there a certain song that you were drawing from when you came up with that first part? It's kind of Barry Whiteish to me. Right. You know, it's just like, like, I mean, well, he would have, he would start an ostinato and like talk. Yeah. He'd be like, you, you feel like he's here on the mic and he's uh, like, hey, yeah. let's <laughs> yeah, get, get ready. You know, I've heard people say that too much of anything is not good for you, baby. Um, and I think that's a—it's very. It, you're right. It is mature. It's kind of like, uh, yeah, you're right. It's not—it's not kiss off. It's like I've been thinking about this, and I'm—I'm I'm talking to you. It's—it's it's you and I. Let's relate. You know, or as you heard it, very frank. Yes. I mean, the it's, frank. Listen, obviously. Yeah. We're at the beginning of something. Like we Let's we can we don't need shit. to yeah, we're not gonna pussyfoot around that. <laughs> <laughs> That's already known. Yeah, Let's yeah, talk yeah. about what it's gonna be. Yeah. yeah. 
Exactly, yeah. Dreams. I've been playing out a lot of hypotheticals in my mind. I've been writing your name down next to mine. Been imagining all the things you and I could do. Ooh, ooh. I've seen all the possibilities in my dreams. You're the one you should really be next to me. Baby, let's not wait and see. As guys, I think sometimes we're <laughs> expected to be romantic, right? Or expected to have some sort of idea of how to sweep a potential partner off his, her feet. Do you remember in a beginning of a relationship that you had maybe, was there a song that you went with to try to woo a potential mate? That was like your go-to like, this is my love song. I'm going to win at the end of this night. Very personal question. Any answer <laughs> may surprise you. <laughs> I want to hear this from you, Aki. Uh, that's a great question. You mean, are you saying for me to get myself pumped up? Like, well, I've, I've done a lot of trial and error on this. Uh, I'm still a, still a happy bachelor. And so I get to try it out quite a bit. I will say something that hasn't been as successful as I would like is, um, is uh, the musicals of Sondheim. No one really knows. <laughs> How about a little um, <laughs> Sweetie Todd, yeah. baby? Uh, I I would say just having, just being like a New York kid, 90s, high school. I graduated around 2001. My go-to, which feels so corny now, is definitely going to be D'Angelo. It's going to be Untitled by D'Angelo. If I'm really trying to be like, it just feels a little over the top now, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like it's almost like a caricature of itself at this point. <laughs> but I, you know, I will say I, I don't think I've ever done that to be honest. You know, or been like, what's the mute? What's the playlist tonight? Uh, maybe I should have. Um, my my now wife. I remember riding in the car with her, and she was playing. She was like, oh, like my favorite band from, uh, you know, 90s R&B land is PM Dawn. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so oh. uh, and at, you know, Aki was, you know, Lake Street Dive was the wedding band at our wedding. Okay. And they played, uh, it was, no, Set Adrift on Memory Bliss is a great one, mm -hmm. uh, but by PM Dawn, but uh, Die Without You. That's what we did, yeah. I mean, mm. and like, we were just, it was like a sunny day and me and my, my, you know, we were just dating and like, like cruising around Boston and her like Subaru and listening to Die Without You. And I was like, you know what? I could get used to this. <laughs> so she kind of charmed the pants off me. Wait, so did you play drums at your own wedding? No, uh, a buddy of mine who was invited, I was like, do you want to be Lake Street Dive's drummer for the night? And he was like... Hell yeah. It's an affordable and also great option for one's own wedding. When you when you were kids, each of you, did you think that music was gonna be your calling or were you completely like surprised by it? I mean, I like to think I'm more enlightened now, but at the time, it was sort of a hormonal choice. Uh, it was a way to distinguish myself uh, for potential mates. 
uh, when I tried out for the you know, spring musical and you get the lead role and suddenly you're like, hello, you know, uh, before that I was so into computers, man. I was like, I went to a school for computer science and I would build PCs and uh, it was, it was, you know, that was what I thought I wanted to do. <sighs> and now look at you. Yeah. <laughs> I've either succeeded or colossally failed. Well, I mean, I was just thinking about the son time. It's like, you were you like musical theater was how yeah. you were trying to that's, that's true. get the ladies and so I, yeah I still think it works <laughs> yeah exactly right yeah Just certain <laughs> certain type of ladies might be interested yeah. Jim yeah, Jim 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 yeah she's out there <laughs> um yeah I mean I so looking back like uh I don't I feel like you know thankfully I don't feel swindled. But I, I don't. I don't really think the choice was made for. Or I, I don't really think I made the choice. I think it was made for me, um, because it was kind of like, I don't know. Maybe I didn't really know much else because my parents met in a rock band. Um, well, that makes sense. Named, ironically, just friends. Mm. Um, and that's amazing. They, they got together. Band promptly broke up. They had. They couldn't fulfill their mission statement, I guess, anymore. Um, and so, you know, but growing up, it was like, you know, holidays and family parties, just like guitars and blah, blah, blah. And the vacuum was that there was no no percussionists, no drummers. And I would I happily filled that role because I was Mr. Tap the Utensils um, on the dinner table. And so it was just kind of like, you know, it was this combination of like, do what you're into, um, but also like do what you know and what you're, you know, like what's your, what's your greatest talent. And if you enjoy it, do that. It was like kind of simple, you know? So um, I did, I did have the full throated support of maybe my, not only my immediate family, but my entire extended family. They were like, yes, go do this thing. You know, like this is, it was, it was kind of, you know, I was, uh, not um groomed for it but they were you know i certainly was pretty raggedy but they were like yeah go for it let's let's do this thing and i did it reminded me of um a conversation i was able to have with uh, dave stewart of the rhythmics for this show one of my favorite interviews i've been able to do um and he and annie lennox were actually like dating like early on like in the 70s and they broke up, but like he knew that whatever they had was so much bigger than their stupid little love affair that they like worked it out where they're like, we can still work together and just not have the feelings be involved. Wow. And they like loved each other, but knew they couldn't like be together. And yet they were married musically for like, you know. 40 years and still are in a way you know and they still eat like it's like yeah i talk to her every week she like calls me up in my studio in bahamas and you know in a band that's been around for what 17 years now or something for most of the time you had two guys and two ladies you're young on the road all the time yeah how did you keep did no one fall in love no one, man. So we nipped it in the bud. It was. Was there a conversation that was had like early on, like this can't happen? 
Well, we noticed that as as things started to get more serious, I guess business wise, it was like um, we we were like, what what are these bands that we're into? And uh, you know, you had the Beatles and um, Fleetwood Mac and right. whatever, you know, uh, Joni Mitchell, and you know, you know, looking at the backstories of all these bands, especially like a, a certain time, it's like you look at Laurel Canyon, yeah, and I don't, I, I that place was just like. It was like a key party. It was just like, yeah, you know, the you know, Joni, Joni Mitchell's Blue, the 50th anniversary, and like James Taylor, da- David Crosby, you know, Graham Nash, and then they moved on to somebody else in another bit. I think about George Harrison with uh, Patty, what was her name? Patty Hirsch and um, Clapton. Clapton, you know, Layla's about Clapton, and yeah. also Something is about it like incredible songs, you know, anyway. So, like and like Fleetwood Mac, good lord! I mean, oh, rumors yeah. was the right. you know it's so messy. It's so messy, and so we were like, okay, it's very boring of us. It's very nerdy. It's very not rock and roll. But like, let's never date each other, no matter what. Also, it's like what was in place of that was like musical respect and and all these other loves and appreciations. You know that like, um, you know, I I think I think some of the time it's not love that, you know, that brings people together in, in a, who were like working musically together. It's like, you're like, whoa, I'm really into your music and you're really into me. And it's like, I love watching you play. And like, and you, you think that's love, you know, I think it can, especially at that age, you know, I don't believe in a lot of love like that. Um, and so I think uh, we at least saw more potential in the, in the music, especially off the bat. It's like, maybe we didn't even, <laughs> maybe there would, you know, there was never actually any attraction between all, any of us. Well, I know that, you know, Mike, you said that, you know, you don't necessarily have the ego to say that you belong on some of these big stages all the time. But I think to keep pace with someone like Rachel Price, whose voice is like a rocket ship every time she sings, it's almost overpowering at times, right? where it can kind of take over the sound. If it was just Rachel and a bunch of uh, intimidated other folks, I think it would not work, right? Rachel's not only the lead singer, but like she's almost in some senses like the way, the reason we sing a lot of the songs we do. Um, A good singer, just like I think a good actor, like, um, I mean, they, they can make anything sound good and a, a good actor can take a bad script and make it work, right? If you're talking about pathos, if you're talking about this uh, this sympathetic, ethereal mystery that happens between artist and audience, um, Rachel needs to not have to think about the song. And she also needs to, Aki as well, and uh, they also need to not have to think about whether or not there's going to be support. And they need to be actually, and they, they need to forget the audience even then. Because it seems to me that like, they, uh, uh, the the song the song just needs to be itself, and they just need to be themselves, and it just needs to come out, it just need to get out of its way. Um, 
if each of you were to have a superpower in the band, what would you say they would be? So not Wolverine claws then. Um, That would have been my answer, just in case you're wondering. Right. What's my superpower? I guess um, I am, uh, like Mike said, uh, pretty pretty good with pressure and anxiety. Pretty good, uh, pretty good uh, at sort of eating those. I, I kind of they don't really phase me so much. It, a lack of them will drive me insane, actually. So maybe I'm kind of a some kind. I like to think I'm a catalyst and not like a junkie. But uh, you know that's. That's kind of my thing, like pressure and time pressure, deadlines and and concerns like that. I'm pretty good at at, uh, sort of absorbing those and then converting them into uh, (laughs) chlorophyll or sunlight. The diamond maker. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Um, Aki, in fact, during a a videotaping of one of our songs, Rachel reversed a line Um, or sang one of his lines. Sang one of my lines. Yeah. And and in same old news, and Aki just like un- without missing a beat, remembered what she should have sang, sang that and in, in in response. Then Rachel was like, "Oh, I realized what I did." Then picked up again. Nobody faltered, but it was it was it was really like the it was like I don't know. It was like Jordan going for the shot and like tripping, and the ball was going wiggly whoop and. Aki was Scotty and just yeah. went in and went bloop and put it in. Um, I would say my superpower would be uh, kind of like, I guess, energy, you know, I, and which I think is appropriate for a drummer. It's just like, you know, um, and kind of like, like reading it and I'll, and being like, either like, whoops, like wake up mm-hmm. or just like nurturing it or, you know, uh, reading and, and adding it as needed. Um, and also having to, it doesn't work all the time, but reining in my own enthusiasm at certain points, you know, especially Aki knows when we rehearse songs, sometimes we're like, I'm getting the fills I'm thinking of playing out yeah. now. <laughs> so they don't come out <laughs> when we do live shows. Um, and it's, you know, so yeah, I, I think energy would be my, you know, I'd be like, uh, was a Colossus who does the, he like stamps down and like glows or whatever. All right. What's Rachel and Bridget's superpowers? Ooh. Hmm. I, ooh. Bridget is like adjacent to Aki to me in terms of that, like pressure thing. Although when it, when it comes down to like, like little blip bloop screw ups, Bridget cannot contain her laughter. No. Um, so that's her Achilles heel that we know. Um, but it also becomes kryptonite for the whole band. Because yes. you see Bridget laughing, yeah. it's, it's, it's a wrap for you. She grows 10 feet tall and starts tickling each of us at the <laughs> same time. Um, and Rachel, I don't know, Aki, would you say she's a, she's not a sorceress. She's not like a, I mean, she knows how to beguile. Yes. But she's a beguiler for good. She's a beguiler for good, a begoodler. She, um, I think of her as like a sort of singing Professor X. She can like, uh, she has like this empathic, but also intellectual quality to suss out. Uh, I mean, you, this is like necessary for a singer, but 
she can suss out like what is the what's the critical thing in this song for example that is the critical emotion what is the journey that's happening but she can also turn that lens on i don't know if she knows this or if she wants to know this on people and she sometimes without even thinking about it like reads somebody cold like top to bottom and then she's like anyway where are the nachos uh, I don't think she thinks it's exceptional, but for someone like me, it it feels like a it feels like a mentalist trick. Yeah, yeah, she's kind of a psychic. Yeah. I mean, you guys are used to playing, obviously, the better venues that are on offer these days. But is there a show that you can remember in the last ten years that really made you question why you were still doing this? Like a particularly nasty, gnarly show. I mean, I I also have this weird uh, relationship with gigs where the ones where I feel like I question them the most, almost like you're describing, uh, or I question what I'm doing there, are the most reaffirming in the end, uh, because you do have to, you have to sort of... Uh, let go of the ego situation like 15 people show up in a 500 seat hall you can either be like well what's the point or you put on you put on your show you connect to those 15 people and that while it may bode ill for your hopes of longevity (laughs) you may start to wonder how long can i do this i think in that instance uh you feel like i've truly connected to people there that calling was affirmed that night uh almost more deeply because I could look into each one of their eyes. This coming from someone who's done a lot of solo gigs in bars uh, late at night where 90% of the people were drunk and singing when I started playing, you know? So, yeah. 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 And like, why, you know, are you doing it for the right reasons? I guess. Right. Is the yeah, other, yeah. It's like, can you, are you still enjoying what you do as an instrumentalist? Right. Well, I think re-listening to some of the live at the Lizard Lounge, which I did I'm a couple days ago. I'm completely done with you. I'm totally and utterly done with you. I think it's important for bands to have like at least one live album early on. And I'm really thankful that we recorded our Lampshade on record at the Troubadour uh, in that great American music hall in San Francisco because there's like that special moment early on as a band where you're still playing relatively small places, but people are just falling in love with you, and then you're falling in love with them, and you can feel it in that recording, you know? And it's just a special, you know, preserved in amber moment. Yeah, funny enough, you know, we did these final shows with McDuck, and then... Our actual last show was at a private party. Somebody hired us to play a wedding anniversary. Uh-huh. And we were on the porch of a house playing to some people who were listening, some who weren't. It was like dinner time. We were like the dinner band. <laughs> it's a tight 60, one encore, I guess. But we didn't have all of our gear. We didn't have our ear. You know, we didn't even have monitors. I think know? we had one monitor <laughs> for Rachel. And yeah. it was like, I heard what was bouncing off the exactly. windows behind her. Rocking it like it's 2006. Yes. And it was so fun. Yeah. yeah. I have to say, I really enjoyed it. I mean, we it was like we got the stuff we needed to out of the way. And then it was like, 
then we were just like being ourselves, enjoying it. Didn't matter who was listening or the fact that it wasn't like garnering. It was like, wasn't part of our career, you know, to be there. Um, but it was just like, oh yeah, being, being fun loving dipshits on a porch is what music is all about, you know? So last thing I want to ask you about is the last song on the record, which really moved me. That song, Sarah, um, the acapella tune, um, kind of gave me like goosebumps the first time I heard it. Last time I will talk about you, I will say your name. Does it feel like a religious experience when your vocals are locking in that tightly? Listening, listening back to it, I'm like, it's really cool that we did this and did it this way. Um, which is another like Aki joining the band, and you know, it was a song I wrote, but the idea to do it a cappella was Bridget's, and then Aki was like, I came up with something that could maybe that the song could maybe do, and it was like tied it and it made it this thing. So, um, what was that thing, Aki? Um, that thing was uh, and etc. Such material, which and, is to- uh, it's totally a '90s boy band vibe. I was like, you got to have a wordless something out front of this acapella yeah. tune. Yeah. yeah. They go now. Big thanks to Mike and Aki for talking to me. You can go to lakestreetdive.com for their newest record. It's called Obviously on Nonesuch Records. It is an earworm special. If you can, please check them out live. They'll be playing in Newport, Rhode Island, Portland, Maine, Shelburne, Vermont, and Summer Stage in New York, all with the wonderful Allison Russell of Birds of Chicago. If you happen to be in Bozeman, Montana, September 21st, my group Dust Bowl Revival will be opening for Lake Street Dive at a sold-out show at The Elm. And on September 26th, they'll be back at Red Rocks in Colorado playing with the Wood Brothers. If you want to discover more awesome new music, go to our mothership, thebluegrasssituation.com, and subscribe to the BGS Radio Hour. Their newest episode features Chris Teeley, Maya DeVitri, and many more really cool shows every week. Check that out, thebluegrasssituation.com. 
If you have but a fleeting moment, you can go on iTunes and leave us a great five-star review and scream to the heavens, this show is rad, or I hate his voice, it's so annoying. Either way, it helps people find us. You may notice there are no set breaks, no crazy corporate sponsors brought to you by Toyota Prius. No, we are a homegrown show, and you can donate if you like, ZNLupitin at Gmail on PayPal. As always, the show on the road is written, produced, edited, and sweated over by yours truly, Zach Lupitin, and we are part of the BGS Podcast Network. Get vaccinated, stay safe, and we'll see you on the trail.